We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be at today. I want us to pray, and then we're going to get into this beautiful text, this fun text, this um, text that is full of travelogue and names, um, names of which I will greatly mispronounce and won't go back and try to pronounce rightly, um, and, uh, and, and story after story, just travelogue after travelogue, detail after detail of where Paul went, um, where he left, a lot of gospel goodbyes with two narratives kind of um, breaking up the travelogue. And so looking forward to jumping into that with you. Let's pray, and we'll look at Acts chapter 20. Jesus, I thank you for your word for us today. Father, I thank you that that for a year um, we've had this text planned for this day and you knew the things going on in the life of our church in this season for us to look at this and to be encouraged by it and to be built up from it. I thank you that your word rings true for our hearts and gives us life and gives us hope and gives us correction and draws us into um, worship of you. And so today as we read this, may may we see you as being worthy of our worship. May we see you as being worthy of our lives to be given to. Jesus, may we see you as being one worthy of us following and giving all for. Would you correct us where we need corrected? Call us to repentance where we need to repent. Would you encourage us where we need encouraged? And would you exhort us and propel us forward where we need that as well? Spirit, we need to hear a better, uh, better sermon than I have prepared today. And so would you preach that to us in our hearts today? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Last week, Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And in the city of Ephesus, he is unpacking the gospel. He's proclaiming the gospel, and the city is being renewed by the gospel. As Paul proclaims the gospel, people repent, people come to Christ, people receive the word, and they become followers of Christ, and it changes people's lives, individuals' lives, and it changes neighborhoods, and it changes communities, and it changes workplaces to such a degree that those who um, earn their livings by um, doing sinful practices are actually going out of business. Right, they're like like those who create idols uh, to, to worship the goddess Artemis, like they're they're losing their business because no one's buying statues of a false god anymore. Those who who practice their worship around the temple of Artemis, those who um, practice in different, um, who did their livings in different ways of worship and religion around that, they're all losing their their revenue. They're losing their city. And so, what's happening as as Jesus spreads throughout the city of Ephesus is those who don't want to receive Jesus are actually beginning to riot and to reject the things of Jesus um, through opposition. And so at the end of our text last week, we see this large riot. They all rush into the theater. Half of them don't even know why they're there. They're causing great chaos. Paul wants to run in and try to fix the situation. The Christians are keeping Paul out of it. And finally, um, the riot gets under control because one of the leading merchants in the city says, hey, everyone, we need to settle down or Rome's going to come in and silence us. And that's where we pick up today in chapter 20. Chapter 20. We're going to read um, through this, and as we're going through it, as I said a moment ago, we're going to see some travelogues, right? And Paul leaves here and goes to here. 
We're going to read those, and we're going to pay very little attention to them right now. We'll we'll come back to those at the end of the passage. We'll pause. We'll look at the two narratives that he gives us. We'll glean the truth from the narratives, and then we'll come back to the travelogues and, and gain some encouragement and exhortation from those as well. Chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased, right, the the riot we were just talking about. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the, A- of, and the Asians, um, Tychicus uh, and Trumphimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. He prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still, ling- still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him up in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, he took with, he took him, we, excuse me, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. That's a text I should have had one of you read for me. Paul begins his journey. This great chaos breaks out. And as that ends, Paul gathers the disciples. And notice several times it tells us that he encourages them. We actually see this throughout this text, and we see this throughout Paul's journeys, that Paul was a man who spent much time encouraging the brothers and the sisters. I don't think this is something we can just fly past and just act as if it's not there. Like I think that most of us are in deep need of more encouragement. And Paul has this practice. He gathers the believers. He encourages them. They've just faced opposition. The opposition will continue, and he encourages them in their faithfulness. 
His journey continues from city to city, stopping, encouraging the church that's there, going on to the next church, encouraging the church that's there, going on to the next church. And as he's encouraging them, giving them strength, giving them life, giving them faith, helping propel them in their endurance of faithfulness to Christ in the midst of their opposition. Then Paul finds himself in Troas. And there in Troas, he gathers together with the church. And when he gathers together with the church, they break bread, communion, like we're about to do here in a little while, like we do on our Sundays. They, they break bread, they, they take the communion together, and Paul begins to teach them. And Paul knows this is the last time he's going to see these brothers and sisters. This is his farewell sermon, if you will, his farewell conversation with them. This is the last um, group in the house group that he's with these people. He has a lot he wants to say, and he wants to say it all this night before he leaves. He doesn't want the night to end. He just wants to say, and he keeps wanting to encourage, and he keeps wanting attention. Oh, one more thing. Oh, one more thing. I don't want this to end. You guys good? Can we keep going? Okay. And he preaches until midnight. There's lamps, it tells us, in the room. And those lamps are burning bright. And there's this young man by the name of Eutychus sitting in a window. I was telling Ace of this story earlier uh, this week, and he was a little confused because our windows have glass in them. Right? He's like, how does he fall out the window? Right? I was well, their windows didn't have glass. They're just open breezeways for the air to come in. So he's sitting in the window, probably trying to get fresh air. Right? Their windows typically would go floor to ceiling. So there he is sitting at the window, getting fresh air as the oil of the lamps are burning, sucking the oxygen out of the air, and it's going late, and he's trying to stay awake, so he's in the window to get fresh air, keep him awake, and let's stay engaged with this preaching. But he doesn't stay engaged. Like some of you, on some Sundays, he dozes off. His head nods, but it doesn't just nod, it does the full-on... Don't act like this is crazy. It happens to you sometimes. It happens to me sometimes. So he falls into a deep sleep, so deep that he falls out of the window three floors down and dies. I mean, we know the ending of the story. We just read it. So it kind of takes away the tragicness of this. But can we just sit with that for a moment? That you're at church and someone dies in your gathering. Or they die in the midst of your gathering. So he falls out the window, he falls to the ground and dies. Paul, rightly, stops preaching, goes downstairs, scoops up the lifeless body, and in essence says, his life's not over yet. And the power of the Spirit through Paul breathes life back into Eutychus. And the story ends by Paul having said this, he's not dead, he won't remain dead, life is back in him, and then Paul goes back upstairs and continues the church meeting. It says he goes back upstairs and he continues to teach, he continues to discuss, they continue to go and they go until morning. I guarantee you people are more awake for the second half of the night than the first half. No one's sitting by the windows. Paul keeps preaching, keeps teaching, they keep listening, and then it tells us, and they broke bread again, and he departs. And they took up Eutychus, who was dead, 
and is now alive. And it says, and there was no little rejoicing, meaning there was much rejoicing, much comfort, much celebration, right? Let's look at the second narrative because the second narrative shed light on the first narrative for us. I could give you one simple application. Preachers, watch your sermon length. All right, we don't want to lull anyone to sleep and then die, right? That's a very practical little piece there. Don't think it's the point of the text, but it's applicable to all of us today, and all of you would say amen to that one. But let's see what he says as he goes forward. Verse 17. Now, for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. So if you remember, he's now left Troas. He's continued on his journey city to city. He stopped in Miletus, and in Miletus, he calls to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he calls them to come to him. It's like special called elders meeting. He calls them to come and meet with him. Verse 18. And when they came to them, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials, um, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you the things that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul comes to Miletus, 
And he calls to himself the elders of the church at Ephesus for this special elders meeting. And when the pastors of the church at Ephesus come and they gather with Paul, he begins to instruct them and to encourage them. We can break Paul's monologue down into three portions, each one building upon itself and each one moving to the next here. Before we look at it closer, I just want to point out, for for those of us in the room who are pastors, there's some of you in this room, and, and for those of you who desire to be a pastor, there's some of you in this room, like, this is a very particular text for us. Right? It's a charge directly to the men who would pastor the flock of God. Paul, speaking directly to pastors about how they lead and shepherd the flock. So for those of you who are pastors who are desired to pastor, take heed of these words closely to your heart. But it's also a word to the church. Because the church is called to pray for their pastors in these ways. And the church is called to follow and to imitate their pastors in these ways, according to Hebrews 13. The church is to help the pastors in this. So it's a charge to the church as well. Paul sets an example to the pastors first. He sets an example to the pastors. He says, look at the example of my life. And he does this specifically in two ways. First, he tells them to remember how he lived among them. Chapter, um, excuse me, verse 17 through 21. Remember how I lived among you. Specifically, let's begin in verse 18. And when they had came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. How I did not shrink in declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then down below, he even points out, and you know good and well that I'd never asked anything from you. I, I, I took care of myself. I provided for myself with my own hands, which is not Paul's Um, demand on all pastors, but it's an example that he wants to set of be a servant leader. Be one who's caring about giving more than taking. Be one who lives for the good of the sheep. He says, I did this with humility, and I did this by caring deeply, shedding tears. I did this by enduring the trials that have come to me, the opposition that came upon me as a shepherd. And I did this without ceasing and declaring the gospel. I continued to teach you what was true despite all of the trials and all of the heartaches and all of the sadness that came of being a pastor. This is Paul's example, and he's telling these pastors, look to my life and imitate me. Imitate me as I have imitated Christ. Because this is how Christ cared for the church. Right, that Christ came in humility, giving up all that he had in heaven. Like, though he was um, found as an equal with God, he did not hold that, right? He did not hold that equality to himself, but he came, he humbled himself, was born in a manger, right? That he emptied himself and came as a servant. 
that he came in humility and that he came serving and that he came giving, that he had no place to lay his head or to call his home, but he came to love and to serve the church. And he came proclaiming the truth in humility and as a servant. This is the life of Christ and he suffered and he died on our behalf. Paul's imitating Christ and he's telling the pastors to imitate him. And then Hebrews tells the church to imitate the pastors in this. That we are to be a people who humbly live as servants, giving for the good of one another, because that's what Christ did for us. That's what Christ did for us. So Paul says, remember how I lived among you. And then Paul says this, watch how I die. Watch how I die. Verses 22 through 27. And behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul is leaving and going to his death. He doesn't know exactly what that looks like, but the Spirit has testified to him. You're about to suffer. You're about to be imprisoned. Death is coming. You won't see them again. And he's constrained. He's compelled by the Spirit to continue to go forward in obedience. An old pastor that I was meeting with one time when I was new at pastoring told me that um, you could sum up the work of a pastor in this, help people prepare to die well. Help people prepare to die well. Preach and teach and encourage and exhort them to faithfulness, to believe rightly about God and to move towards death still believing rightly about God in faith that the promises God has given them in the person and the work of Jesus will hold true. Help people prepare to die well. And in essence, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, you have looked at my life and also now watch how I am about to die. Look at my faithfulness. I'm going to this embracing what God has for me because he says, I count my life of no value. This life I have developed, this life that I have established, all that I have gained, the relationships that I have, all that my hands have accomplished are of no value unless I finish this race faithfully. All I need is Christ. It's like we just sang about. And so, Paul goes, watch how I die and prepare to die the same. Count Jesus as the only value of your life. Look to him as all that matters. Chase him with everything that you have and be willing to give up everything else as long as you obtain Jesus. Chase Jesus. Paul tells them, you're not going to see me again. And then verse 28 through 31, we see Paul's challenge to the pastors. So he said, hey, look at my life, watch my death. 
and allow me to challenge you now. Allow me to exhort you. Allow me to encourage you forward in this. So look at verse 28. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Excuse me, I started in verse 26. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So Paul goes, watch my life, imitate my life, watch my death, imitate my death, and allow me to challenge you with this, be alert. Be alert. Watch out for the flock of God that is among you. Watch out for the people of God that he has placed you over. Be alert and pay attention to them. Watch them, see them, call out to them when they're straying in sin. Encourage them, plead with them to repentance. Help them prepare to die well in faithfulness. Be alert and be on guard for the sake of the flock. Whom is Christ's church? Right? That Christ purchased the church with his blood. He's the one who shed his blood to save you. You are his. The pastors of the church are simply his under-shepherds, or the text here says overseers. The word overseer means protector, guard. Right? That the job of the pastor is to protect, to watch, to guard the people of the church. Why? What are we guarding you from? What are we supposed to protect you from as pastors? Well, he says that there will come in among you wolves who will use their words to devour and deceive and lead you astray. And there will even rise up from among you, and you in this moment being the pastors, wolves, who would do the same. That the church is in danger both from those coming outside into the membership and from those who rise up through the membership as pastors of being wolves who would devour, use twisted words, to lead people away from following Christ. And he says, be on guard, protect the church from the wolves. Now here's the beautiful piece of these two narratives that Paul or that Luke pauses for us to see. You have in narrative one the proclaiming of the word. The church is gathered. And as the church is gathered, there is light in that room. The torches are burning. That room is lit with the light of those torches, but metaphorically, it's lit with the light of the gospel, of truth, of faith in Jesus. But there is one in that group who begins to lull himself to sleep, who begins to doze off. In the story, literally, in the metaphor, spiritually. He begins to spiritually doze off, and he falls out of the light and into the Darkness. And as he falls out of the light and into the darkness, what awaits him is death. And now Paul comes to the elders and he goes, Be alert. 
pay attention. Be alert and watch out for the sheep because wolves are coming in to devour. People are falling asleep. Don't let them spiritually fall out of the light and into the darkness and die. Guard them, protect them, watch them. This is the story Luke is wanting us to see here. That we as pastors and that we as the church are to work with one another to help protect one another from spiritually falling asleep, falling into the darkness, falling to our death, and being devoured by wolves who would lead us astray. The horror of the story of Eutychus is no one was being alert to watch for him. It makes absolute sense he was falling asleep. But no one was close enough to him to grab him. No one was alert enough to see him leaning over. No one knocked him and flipped his ear to wake him up. No one was trying to protect Eutychus. He was alone in the window and fell to his death. So Paul says, don't let anyone be alone. Be on guard, alert for one another. Keep each other from falling out the window spiritually. Are you with me? And now, verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all I have, in all things I have shown you, that by, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. So his final pleading here is spend yourself. Sacrifice yourself for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sacrifice yourself. Give yourself up for their sake. It's better to give than to receive, whatever the cost. And then his closing words to them, Verse 36, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrow, sorrowful most of all, because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. We have a detailed look at a gospel goodbye. Right, that, that Paul gathered together with them and they kissed and they hugged and they cried and they said goodbye knowing they wouldn't see each other again. And they were sent off. And Emmaus, we get to do a lot of these gospel goodbyes. We're actually going to do one today in a little bit. I used to not, not feel the sorrow in these especially when it was me being the one leaving. Most of you know I'm a guy who's always living 20 years in the future. Seldom like present. I'm like thinking ahead. It means I'm not a detailed person. I'm not here. But also the danger that means I'm like just relationally sometimes not present. I'm always kind of ahead. And so when I know the Lord's leading me someplace else, it's easy for me to just already be there and not here and go, man, this is what God's doing. We should all just celebrate this. It's all happiness because we're being obedient. 
When I left my last church to come here, that was my attitude. Like I, I left there to come plant this church. And when there was deep sadness among the congregation, I like didn't feel that. In fact, I was kind of put off by it. Now, eight years later, I can look back and I can realize it's because I actually wasn't a shepherd there. I planted the church, I preached to the church, I led the church, I didn't know how to shepherd the church. So my heart wasn't relationally connected with the sheep that I had bled for. Now, if I think about leaving, by the way, I'm not leaving. This is not where this is going, by the way. Just realize some of you like got really alert for a moment. You're like, wait, where's this going? It's not where this is going. If I think about leaving, it like crushes my soul right now. Right? The idea of leaving here. And I wish it would crush some of our souls every time we send someone. Right? That there's lost relationship, there's goodbyes, there's we might not see each other again. We might be sending this person to their death. May God give them the grace to die well, faithful to the gospel, for the glory of Jesus. There's this travel log going throughout this passage. Paul stops here, goes here, stops here, goes here, stops here, goes here. It's a story over and over and over again of gospel goodbyes. I mean, just, I mean, every place he stops, it's a hello and a goodbye. Every place he stops, there's hugs, there's goodbyes, there's tears, there's I won't see you again. And everywhere he stops and everywhere he goes, it's not only a testimony of gospel goodbyes, it's a testimony of God's faithfulness. Because God has promised his church that he would never leave her or forsake her. And he has told them, if you remember back to Acts 1.8, the beginning of this book, as Jesus is about to send into heaven, he told his church, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's been his promise, and that's been what he's been faithful to. And everywhere Paul stops, everywhere he stops is a testimony to God's faithfulness of that. The gospel is going forth to all of these places. So as we conclude our time in the Word today, here's what I wanted to do today. I, I want us to simply hear a travelogue, if you will, of God's faithfulness of gospel advance through Emmaus. Through Emmaus. We do a lot of gospel goodbyes. I wanted you to hear one or two sentences or in Sam Parkinson's response, about 12 sentences, one or two sentences of testimony to what God is doing around the globe through gospel advancement from Emmaus. It's our travelogue, if you will. God's faithfulness, stories of gospel goodbyes, and faithful living, moving towards faithful dying for the sake of the gospel. From Michael and Christy Kenyon in St. Clair, Missouri, God is working in many ways to help people work through complicated hurt in the gospel and to see what it looks like to truly live for Christ as the people in our church have become more devoted to the scriptures. And now they're beginning to look at what's going on around them through the lens of scripture. From Colin and Laura Campbell in Aurora, Colorado, God has been knitting our hearts together with our new church and helping us already begin reaching a new neighborhood for Christ. From Mike and Paige Brooks in Boston, Massachusetts, 
The gospel is being faithfully preached and churches are being planted throughout the city and surrounding areas. It is encouraging to see rays of light breaking through so much darkness, especially on our university campuses and places like Harvard and MIT. In addition, Paige is preparing to take the gospel to the Middle East with her church. From Taylor and Catherine Callen in the mountains of upstate New York, we are leading a church revitalization in the, in the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York. There used to be five churches here, but now Horicon Baptist is the only church open. This church almost closed during COVID, but by the grace of God, this old church is falling back in love with the gospel and the community is being reached in new ways. From Grant and Abigail Reynolds in Topeka, Kansas, God is working in the lives of young people here in Topeka. Our youth group students are living out the gospel and new students are getting saved and baptized and our young adults are fearlessly making new relationships with new university students in hopes that they will come to Christ. From Chris and Rachel Dryman in Porto, Portugal, the old bow to idols and the young pray to no one. And pervasive careers of substance create few opportunities to form disciples here in Portugal. But many Christians are fleeing to Portugal from the violence in Brazil, and they are bringing their faith with them. We are working together with them to make the gospel known in our city. People from Kansas City, people from Brazil, in Porto, Portugal, together for different reasons, but for the sake of the gospel going forth. From Adam and Elizabeth Sanders in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, there is a quiet faithfulness that marks this church a church filled with multi-generational Christians who value sound biblical teaching and a family atmosphere where people are cared for, a desire to serve the community through meals and charity, all in the name of Christ. From Corey and Jamie Chaplin in Bristol, Rhode Island, we have seen God produce in our people a heart of faithfulness and endurance through some difficult circumstances while also seeing some progress made to deepen community. The Lord has opened doors for the gospel to be proclaimed to college students at Roger Williams University and to older residents living at an assisted living facility near our church. From Drake and Allie Osborne in Waco, Texas, Grace Church is seeing God bless us with growing maturity by bringing us new pastors, equipping us to send church planters to rural England and preparing to plant a church in a nearby community. From Sam and Shannon Parkinson in the United Arab Emirates. The Lord is making the UAE an Antioch of sorts. In addition to the faithful churches who proclaim the gospel in English, Telugu, Arabic, Tagalog, and other languages in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and nearby Emirates, we have the joy of training up and sending out future pastors and members from around the world who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Just since our arrival, we have sent out brothers to Lebanon and India to preach the gospel. And we are preparing brothers to plant churches in their homelands of Ethiopia, Ghana, Pakistan, India, and Angola. And within my class of students this semester um, are all of those countries as well as South Africa, Egypt, Iran, Colombia, and beyond. Church, this is the travelogue of God's faithfulness to what he said in Acts 1.8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And for them, we are the ends of the earth. We have received the gospel, and now in the faithfulness of God, the gospel is going forth from the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth. God is faithful to do what he promised to do, to spread the good news that Jesus saves sinners to sinners all over this globe. So what do we do with this today? What do we do with this? Three things. First, church, we must be careful not to fall asleep. Be careful not to fall asleep lest you fall into the darkness and die. When you feel your soul being drugged away into tiredness spiritually, cry out for help, gather for help, bring people around you to keep you awake, get some spiritual caffeine, if you will. Call on the church to walk with you. We want to keep you from falling out the window. Number two, church, pay close attention to one another. In humility and in care, protect one another. Watch for the wolves and watch for the windows. Keep each other going faithfully. Help each other prepare to die well. And third, keep spreading the good news that Jesus saves sinners who cry out in repentance. He's faithful to it. Keep telling people about it. Who knows if today the person you tell is someone he saves today. Keep going. Let me pray for you. And Jesus, I thank you for your word, for our time together here in the scriptures. What a joy to gather and to hear these things. What a joy to hear your faithfulness around the globe sent out from us, a small church in Kansas City, Missouri. God, you are good. Help us protect each other, to care for each other in humility and in care. Help us to protect each other from the windows and from the wolves. Help us to watch out for ourselves lest we drift away. Keep us proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves sinners. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.